We're going to have the reading in three different parts through the sermon today. So we've been on a journey with Jesus toward Jerusalem over the last few weeks. And in all the encounters and and events along the way, Jesus has been teaching what it looks like to follow him. He's been teaching some pretty challenging, unorthodox, radical kind of things. And today's no exception. In fact, and I know that I probably say this every week, today is probably the most challenging radical, unorthodox moment on the journey that we've seen to Jerusalem so far. On our journey today, what Jesus teaches us has got three layers to it. And I'd like to be able to say that the layers are like the layers of a parfait, because everybody loves parfait. But the reality is that they're actually more like the layers of an onion, because there's a sting to them. The first layer that we see is this, don't be proud before other people. Getting a bit deeper, the second layer is don't be proud before God. And the most painful and yet at the same time, the the sweetest part of the onion is the third layer. The heart of what Jesus is talking about is humble yourself and he will lift you up. We see these three layers to Jesus' teaching in two scenes, uh, unfold in two scenes on this journey. There's the party scene at an important Pharisee's house, where we see the proud heights of self-promotion. And then there's the street scene with great crowds following Jesus, where we see the depths of humility that are required of disciples. So we're going to start with the party scene, where we see this first layer, where Jesus says, don't be proud before other people. And Paul's going to read for us Luke 14, verses 1 to 14, and you can follow along on page 739. Thanks, Paul. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, Will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do... They may invite you back and so you will will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So Jesus is invited to a prestigious party. Have a look again with me at 14 verse 1. One Sabbath, 
when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, a key important religious leader, he was being carefully watched. I haven't been to that many prestigious parties, thank goodness. I uh, I reckon that there's a good chance that if I did, that I'd embarrass myself at these kind of things. The closest that I've come to to a prestigious party was when I was invited to an afternoon tea with the Duke of Edinburgh once. I think I've told you about this before, but I'm not sure if I told you about what happened on that afternoon tea. Before the event, they actually send you this intimidating manual of etiquette. And um, I was a uni student at the time, so I had to look up who the Duke of Edinburgh was, as well as the meaning of the word etiquette. So I didn't get off to a good start in not embarrassing myself at this event. When I did meet the Duke, it was in a Catholic college, and at the time I was living in an Anglican college. And the Duke of Edinburgh chatted about these things where we lived and that sort of thing, which must have been so boring to him. So to liven things up a little bit, he told one of his famous inappropriate kind of jokes. He said, Anglicans in a Catholic college, I do hope there are no Irish amongst us. I think I got the joke about three days later. I don't do too well at prestigious parties. How's Jesus going to go at this prestigious party? All eyes are on him, we read. Is he going to embarrass himself? Well, the thing about Jesus is he isn't at all daunted. Did you see what he did? He sees someone who's sick and so he heals him then and there at the party while they're all watching, even though it's a Sabbath. And this has been a previous source of conflict between him and the Pharisees. See, the Sabbath is the Jewish day of rest where you weren't allowed to do any work. And in the mind of Jesus' host, this prominent Pharisee, healing his work. And so it's forbidden on a Sabbath. But Jesus isn't one bit afraid of these important people. In fact, he accuses the lawyers and the Pharisees of only caring for their own self-interests. And this becomes the theme of the night, the theme of the party. Look at verse 5. Jesus asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. The truth is, they'd break the Sabbath for their own self-interest. But they wouldn't allow a man who was sick to be healed on the Sabbath? Jesus is so different to these guys. He heals even though they're watching, even though he's on their turf, even though he knows they're not going to be happy. Jesus is not embarrassed at this party. Instead, what he does is embarrasses those who've been invited. Jesus sees through them. He sees that what is motivating them is is self-interest and pride. And it's pretty easy to spot. Look in verse 7. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. They're so full of their own self-importance that they're competing for, for the best seats in the house. Could you imagine doing this? Could you imagine being invited to a wedding and sitting yourself down, competing for the best seats, taking the mother of the bride's spot, switching placeholders with her, pulling up a seat at the, the bridal table? You know, these guys aren't at a wedding, but what they're doing is equally ridiculous. They're like chooks 
establishing the pecking order. Who's more important than who? They're promoting themselves. And Jesus exposes their self-importance, their pride. He points it out and he says, sit up the back. Essentially, he says to them, don't seek your own glory. Instead, consider others more important than yourself. Well, who knows what happened there on the night, but maybe at this point, the host jumped in and and tried to settle Jesus down and, and smooth things over, tried to get him to behave because of the important guests there, tried to remind him subtly of the of the um, um, etiquette manual that he'd sent out earlier. Whatever the case may have been, at this point, Jesus now turns his attention to the host himself, the one who invited him, and he challenges him too. He says to him, don't invite the lawyers and the Pharisees to these kind of parties. Don't invite these guys. Don't invite your friends your family or your neighbours? Why not? Verse 12. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. Jesus says, don't do things just for what you get out of it. Instead, invite the unimportant, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Why? Verse 14. Because You'll be blessed, although they cannot repay you. You'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And Jesus is not just being rude for the sake of it here. These people claim to be the leaders of God's people. These people claim to be the moral compass, the shepherds. But really, they are are self-seeking, proud and arrogant. The first layer of the onion is simple. Jesus is saying, don't be proud. Don't lift yourself up above other people. Don't be so full of your own self-importance that you only do things for people who can give you something back. Now, before we move on, we should ask ourselves, are we at risk of this? In Australian culture, really obvious honouring of self is a big social no-no. When I was at Bible college, there was a, a guest speaker from America who didn't kind of realise this about Australian culture. And he wanted to illustrate a, a point in something that he was saying. So he asked everyone, who's a good athlete here? Who's really good at sport? No matter how hard he tried, he just couldn't get one single person to volunteer themselves. For an Australian, that would be completely socially unacceptable. Even if someone had been to the Olympics and come back with five gold medals, there was no way that they were going to put their hand up. See, Australians are more subtle than Pharisees in how we exalt ourselves, but we still do it. It's not just at dinner parties that we can exalt ourselves, of course, but it certainly includes them. What we serve, how we dress, what we talk about. Often our motivation can be lifting ourselves up over other people. There are any number of ways that we can do this, from mothers' groups at cafes, posturing to show that they're out-mothering the others, or in our careers, we can be self-important in our occupation or study. I'm a pharmacist. I help people. I stand a foot above everyone else. I was a pharmacist, by the way, in case you're wondering why I'm picking on them. 
or even in the way that we relate to people at work, we can be self-important. Like we can be friendly with the boss, but when it comes to the junior staff or the cleaners or the consultants, we just don't bother, the contractors. Why would we do that? Do you remember the mockumentary Kenny from about 10 years ago about a plumber? The movie starts with this great quote. It says, none are less visible than those we refuse to see. Could it be that we consider ourselves too important to be to even bother noticing some people? There are just so many ways that we can lift ourselves up over other people. Way too many for us to list out today. I mean, even we can project our self-importance onto our children. We can hate their bad behaviour, not because it's bad behaviour, but because it makes us look bad. And we can love their successes because it makes us look good. We can promote our self-importance in what we let slip as we speak, what we've accomplished, where we've travelled, even by whose names we drop, we can promote ourselves like the Duke of Edinburgh. Even as Christians, (laughs) even as Christians, we, we can have our unique ways of lifting ourselves up over others, some obvious and some incredibly subtle, like what prayer points we share at community groups or what prayer points we don't share, who we invite around for lunch or who we won't invite around. The first layer of the onion is just clear and simple, isn't it? Don't be proud before other people. At least it's simple to understand, but it's harder to do. The second layer to what Jesus is teaching here goes deeper. Jesus isn't just cutting down the tall poppies for the fun of it. Their self-importance before other people is a symptom of a deeper problem. They're too self-important for God. The second layer to Jesus' teaching is don't be proud before God. His his deeper message is don't be self-important before God. Now at this point in the evening, there's an uncomfortable uh, guest who's stuck at Jesus' table who pipes up. He realises that Jesus is talking about more than just dinner parties at this point. He hears Jesus talk about what's to come, life after death. And so look at what he says in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It's like he's thinking, finally, some common ground. So he says, won't heaven be great? And Jesus' answer is basically, you might be surprised who's there. Paul's going to read, our next section for us, follow along with him if you like, Luke 14, 15 to 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who you who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. In the story, those invited are too busy with their own important lives to bother with the party. They viewed the party as an inconvenience, and so they excused themselves from it. They've got more important things to worry about. A field, oxen, and a new wife. What's Jesus' point in telling this story? The basic meaning of this parable is that self-important people will be too busy with their own lives to bother with God's invitation to the greatest party ever. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees there at that dinner party that they're excusing themselves from God's kingdom. They're excusing themselves from heaven. They're too busy with their own lives. For them, the kingdom of God is an inconvenience. What a tragic mess that they've gotten themselves into. They're the ones who claim to know God and point others to Him while they themselves are actually too busy, too important to bother entering God's kingdom. One year, my sister was going through a really rough patch and she was into using drugs and stuff like that. And she just didn't show up for Christmas, even though she loved Christmas. As you can imagine, it was tragic, especially for my mum. What Jesus pictures here is far more tragic. Missing out on the greatest party ever. When you're invited, because we view our lives as more important than what God's doing in this world, that's tragic. Excusing ourselves from God's kingdom. It's the most short-sighted, self-obsessed, awful mistake we could ever make. But did you notice exactly where we fit into Jesus' story? We're not actually the the Pharisees, they're the first round offers. We're not even the poor, the crippled, the blind and lame, that's the second round offers. They're the prostitutes and tax collectors, the sinners in Israel. We're actually even further down than that. We're the third round offers that you see in verse 23. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. We're the outsiders. We're those who don't naturally belong in the kingdom of God because we're not Jewish. Did you notice that? We don't naturally belong in the kingdom of God. So pride before God is so wrong, especially for us. And yet, it's still something that we can struggle with. We also can be too interested in self to accept God's generous invitation. You know, our field could be our quest to own our own home. Our team of oxen could be our work or our study. Our new wife could be our family or our boyfriend or girlfriend. It would be tragic for us if we let these good things excuse us from God's invitation to heaven. It would be tragic if we elevated ourselves and our interests above God. So we've seen Jesus' first layer of teaching. First layer, don't be proud before other people. We've seen the second layer, 
Don't be proud before God. And now we come to the third layer. And here is the heart of the onion. Like an onion, it, it stings as you cut into it. Because the heart of what Jesus is saying here is that we need to humble ourselves. In fact, unless we deny ourselves, unless we give up living for ourselves, Jesus says it's impossible to be his disciple. But like an onion, the heart is also the sweetest part. And the heart of what Jesus is saying here is exactly the same because Jesus says that those who do humble themselves, he will lift up, he will exalt them. Paul's going to read for us our last little bit, chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. Thanks, Paul. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, He cannot be my disciple, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays a foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Look at verse 25 again. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus. That's great, right? And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, Such a person cannot be my disciple. It's impossible. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Verse 23. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus doesn't want great crowds. He wants great commitment. This is the opposite of self-exaltation. It's the opposite of self-importance. This is complete self-unimportance. In fact, Jesus is saying that it's impossible to follow him and to still live for our family or for ourselves or for our things. It's all or nothing when it comes to following Jesus. And Jesus uses extreme language to, to wake us up to hear this. We've got to hate our own parents, spouse, children, hate our own life, Give up everything? Or otherwise it's impossible to follow him? Jesus is actually making the exact same point that he made just before he started this journey to Jerusalem. Back in 9.23, he said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to lose their life, sorry, save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
The fact of the matter is that it's impossible to follow Jesus unless he alone is first in our lives. He alone is first in command, unless he alone is first in our hearts. Jesus is just stating the radical, unorthodox, challenging truth that we're not following him adequately until we're following him completely. Salvation is found only in Jesus. And Jesus is only found when you lose yourself. It's impossible to accept God's invitation to salvation if we live for ourselves or for anything or for anyone other than Jesus. We don't come to Jesus to build our own kingdoms. We turn our backs on our own kingdoms. We give up living for ourselves, which sounds crazy. And it would be completely crazy if it were anyone else that we were following, that we were doing this for, other than Jesus. Jim Elliot, who later died following Jesus, wrote in his journal that you can see up there in, in 1949, he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What Jesus gives us when we follow him is far, far, far more than what we give up for him. Jesus' point is not to literally hate family or things. His point is that we need to turn our back on living for them, to hate the very possibility of being more committed to anything over our commitment to him. When we give up, everything that we once lived for, when we give it over to Him, He gives it back to us, but for a radically different purpose. What we once loved for self, we now hate. But what we now hate for self, God tells us to love for Him. You know, do I love my wife and my family? Yes, of course I do, but not for my own self-importance, my glory. I love them for Christ's sake, which means I love them even when there's nothing in it for me. Jesus isn't simply to be our first priority. He's to be our centre. Sometimes we talk like Jesus is, you know, our first priority, family is our second priority, others are our third priority, and myself is my last priority, or at least we talk like that's the ideal. But actually, that's not the ideal. There are not competing priorities. Jesus is our only priority. And everything else orbits around him. Everything else is, is simply the stage on which we live for Jesus alone. Or the canvas on which our loyalty to Jesus is painted. In my family, I live for Jesus. And I love them because I love him. In my work, I live for Jesus. And I love the people that are there because I love him. With my possessions, I, I live for Jesus. And I use them in his service. When we give up everything to follow Jesus, every part of our lives is affected by him. Previously on the stage of life, I was seeking my own glory. When I follow Jesus, I'm called to seek only his. When you think about it, Jesus is the one person, the one person who's entitled to elevate himself. But what does he do? 
He doesn't elevate himself, he humbles himself. This journey that he's on is all about him reaching Jerusalem where he's going to give his life up as he's humiliated, crucified, naked, in agony. He's lifted up on the cross so that he can lift up us out of judgment and into forgiveness. The human way is to grasp at God by self-exaltation. But God grasps humans by selfless humiliation. On the cross, dying in the place of proud humans. For us to truly be like God is not to exalt ourselves, but to embrace selflessness. Well, as we finish, to all of us who've already humbled ourselves and accepted God's invitation to the kingdom of God, what should I say to you today with such a hard-hitting kind of passage well all i can say to us is what jesus says to us what jesus says to those who are already following him what does he say to the crowds who are following him count the cost you can't half finish a a building project you can't half fight a war in the same way we can't half follow jesus it's all or nothing all or nothing Jesus doesn't want great crowds. He wants great commitment. We have to ask ourselves, do we have great commitment? Have you counted the cost? Would you still follow Jesus if it cost you your girlfriend or your boyfriend, your family or your friends, if they wanted nothing to do with you, if it cost you everything you own? Well, the reality is that's exactly what Jesus says it costs. If you're still watching Jesus from a distance, not sure if you want to follow him, what should I say to you? Well, I I could say what Jim Elliot says. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Or as Jesus puts it even better, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. We can't keep our life forever. Death comes to us all. It makes sense to give it up now for Jesus. Give it up to the one who gave his life up for us so that we could live forever. Humble yourself and Jesus will lift you up. Let's pray and ask for his help in this incredibly hard calling. But a calling that is incredibly worthwhile. Heavenly Father, these words of Jesus are very hard for us to handle. And yet, Lord, they are exactly what we need to hear and exactly what is going to give us life and make us think rightly about life. Lord, you are number one in this universe. You are at the center of it. All things were created for your glory, including us. And Lord, whenever we put anything above you, we do ourselves harm. Lord, help us to see that in surrendering everything to Jesus, we're gaining not just life now, but life forever. That we're realizing the truth that we are so 
lowly compared to you, so in need of your goodness and kindness, so desperately in need of the salvation that Jesus gives to us freely on that cross. We pray, Lord, that you would help us not to put family or our things or even our own lives above Jesus. Help us to see what that looks like in the mess of life as we love the families you've given us and are faithful in our lives for your sake, for Jesus' sake. Lord, give us the wisdom to steer this difficult road that we're on with Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.